Hello and welcome to the Super Show podcast. It is amazing to have you back here um, for another week of gaming news and also to have my joyous co-host, Jamie. How the hell are you doing, sir? I'm doing very well. Does that mean that I am currently joyous? I'm in the state of experiencing joy or that I bring joy to others, including you? Even in your down, your darkest, your down times, you bring joy to others. So I think you're uh, a giver of joy. Oh. That's a relief, Jamesy, because I don't think I've ever been downer or darker than I am right now. Well, then I'm glad that that doesn't matter. <laughs> we can still enjoy you, <laughs> whether you want us to or not. How do we have a choice? Now? These things are scheduled. We do them every week. We do. Um, I'm going to give a quick, sh- quick shout out to people joining us in the chat uh, because it gives us a quack shout out as well. Quack, a quack shout out. Yeah. Um, to uh, uh, let's say hello to Mugnet, Thomas James, Classy Cat, Richard, and oh, and Thomas James again. He's done two comments. That's why I was going to say his name again. Hello, thank you for joining us. It's epic to have you. And Joel's in there as well, saying sup. So what is up? Uh, we are a gaming podcast. We are the Super Show Pod on YouTube and more oh, X, not Twitter anymore, is it X? We are at Super Show Pod. Yeah. You can reach out to us. You can send us a DM. You can leave us a comment. You can do whatever the hell you like. We're also available on podcasting platforms. I'm talking Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts. Uh, and you can check us out on paisleyradio.com Thursdays at 10 p.m. and repeated on Mondays at 10 p.m. in case you missed it the first time. Um, Jamie, to this week yeah. has been another dryish week, but we have scoured internet haven't we to bring a few news stories yeah we, we we always try our best we always you know even if we have to really scrape the bottom of the barrel we will do so and we will bring you those scraps that we have scraped um luckily oh in fact i don't know, don't know if it's unluckily or unluckily but the the video gaming news gods have blessed us with at least a headline to go into this podcast with the only issue with is with the josie is that it is the source of my aforementioned down and dark nature at the moment. Uh, no, I can appreciate why we talked about it recently and we'll be getting into it a little bit more. We are, of course, talking about the fact that uh, Red Dead is going to be getting a conversion. Um, and that is the extent of how much the, uh, Rockstar are really willing to give us. We're not getting a remake. We're not getting um, a remaster even. Uh, but before we jump into that, I'm quickly going to uh, mention that we are also going to be covering... Um, the announcement that Call of Duty will indeed be Modern Warfare 3 this year, as everyone thought it might be. Hideo Kojima has been talking about how he rewrote Death Stranding 2 um, after the pandemic, because uh, his you know, his mind was changed and the way he felt about things was different. And if we get to it, we'll also touch on uh, Hasbro apologising to Activision for throwing some shade. Although they probably don't give a shit anymore because they just made a billion dollars off their Derby movie. Yeah, so Hasbro. True, Hasbro, isn't it? I think no, actually, is Hasbro the same as Mattel? I assume the Hasbro or, or all toys. Is, are they? Is that not that? Should I check? I don't know. Look, love. yeah, I think I think you're right because I think I remember seeing a tweet saying that in the light of the Barbie film doing so well that they were going to try and create this sort of toy extended universe, and I want to say that Transformers were technically included on that list, so there must be some link between Hasbro and Mattel. But one probably owns the other. Like you said, Hasbro probably just owns everything at this point. Like, I think the Rubik's Cube was on that list. Oh, apparently not. Apparently not. I thought they did. Apparently Hasbro don't own Mattel. Uh, Mattel involved at all, or is that just a name I fabricated from thin air? When it comes no, no, to Mattel, own, so Mattel owned Barbie, but then there, okay. is, there are links between Hasbro and Mattel, but 
but the extent to which those links run deep is anyone's guess. Yeah, I th- I thought it was it was more of a straight thing, but maybe not. Oh, anyway, whatever. It, look, it looks like they've done business before. Apparently, um, Hasbro uh, created a Barbie branded Monopoly game before, um, and that was like a licensing deal they did together. So you know what? There's history there, Jonesy. Basically, what I'm saying is you're not wrong. I was looking up um, Hasbro today because I played some Junior Monopoly, um, which was based okay. on Peppa Pig. It's playing it with the kids, and nice. I was like, I, I want to play more Junior Monopoly, but I can't stand Peppa Pig. So I had a look to see if there was a Bluey version, and indeed there is. Uh, so now I can grab um, a Bluey version of uh, Junior Monopoly with the kids. That's just a, that's a money printing machine, right? You just take every single child friendly franchise or IP possible and make a board game spin-off of it or make a Monopoly tie-in. And because every child needs to learn about home ownership and debt and going to jail and just the, the facts of life. These are the modern-day version of the birds and the bees, Jensen, like we were talking about the other day. It's it's being in debt, it's paying a mortgage and going to jail. Yes, and especially if you know anything about the gaming industry, then all of those things will happen and you'll need to know about them. Uh, and even Monopolies in general, as we've learned in the last couple of weeks. Oh, there we go. Yeah, all these big acquisitions that be going on. But hey, let's get into something else that big that's happened in the uh, gaming industry because, of course, we have just learned the reality, Jamie. Um, after speculation uh, a couple of weeks ago from us that Red Dead um, it will be returning, and um, it, a lot of people will probably be happy about that. Not to mention, Undead Nightmare will be coming with it, which is pretty awesome. Um, mm-hmm. But unfortunately, the uh, long rumored return um in and we were before i think we talked about it we said how was it going to be a remaster will it be a remake i think i said um that i couldn't imagine it'll be anything less than a full-on remake because of you know it's feeling it feels dated and he's updating but yeah we're not getting any of those things it's going to be a conversion um so that we can play it whatever the fucking conversion conversion just feels like someone who's desperate not to say the word port which is weird because i don't even think the word port is that unfashionable it just seems like I don't know. They maybe wanted to heighten things a little bit. But I suppose conversion. I guess maybe port doesn't work because it's already on like the, you know, PlayStation. Uh, not but it's structure. It's not though, because even yeah. if you're referring to PlayStation now, that's it's cloud based. That was the whole point. So, it's it's a port. It's <laughs> like it, I don't know. I just I think it's just like that classic rock star thing of like using different language. Um, well, okay, before you lay into it and lay into what they've done, because um, I'm very interested in your opinion on this, uh, sure. let's give a couple of the facts. So um, we have uh, been told that basically they're coming out with this conversion um, that will include no additional features or improvements to the game up- um, above and beyond some newly supported la- um, languages. The package that you'll be able to buy, which will contain Red Dead and will contain Undead Nightmare, will cost $50 Um and it's going to be available on the PlayStation 4 and the Switch from August 17th, which is, um, blimey, it's, that's a week away. No, sort of 10 days, just over a week away. Close, yeah. Very close. Uh, so, yeah, incredibly close. Um, given the fact that it's not a remake or remaster, you'll be, unsurprisingly, uh, you'll, you'll be hearing there's no next-gen version um, coming out because we haven't even got a current-gen or a previous-gen version. We've just got a conversion. Um <laughs> And there will be no PC port, and multiplayer will not be included. Uh, I'm shocked, quite frankly. Um, I was, 
I was really shocked as well. Um, the extent to which I'd use a slightly more emotive word, like disappointed or frustrated, I think I'll hold off from that territory just for, for the time being. But I was uh, caught off guard a little bit. Um, because I, I think this is going to be one of those things that, you know, people's mileage is going to vary when it comes to the degree to which they are excited for this, or of course, conversely disappointed by something like this. And I think that mileage is going to depend on uh, basically what they had uh, begun anticipating, what they had built themselves up for. There are going to be plenty of people out there, you know, you, you may, you and I play, probably know plenty of them in our private lives who, when something happens like the South Korea Ratings Agency having a new listing for Red Dead Redemption, it doesn't enter their sphere. And they don't listen to gaming podcasts or watch gaming news. And so, like, this drops out of nowhere and they think to themselves, oh, I can play Red Dead Redemption again for the first time in um, over a decade. And that's great. And that's all some people care about. And that's awesome. There are going to be other people, the people who... Um, not just uh, listen to gaming podcasts, but in the cases like yours and mine, Jonesy, record gaming podcasts where, naturally, we invite and entertain sort of different kinds of speculation, and we let our minds and our imaginations run away with the ideas of remasters and remakes and it being packaged with a next-gen version of Red Dead Redemption 2 and all these kind of, like, now with hindsight, ridiculously over-the-top ideas that we had at the time. Um... And so I think that's where the that there's a kind of a shortfall between what people were beginning to hope for, or in some cases even expect, and what we got. I don't think many people were prepared for a world where this was the product that was being talked about um, for so long. Uh, in in some regards, you know, again, we always talk about to what extent you can like rely on rumors, but a lot of the chatter about this product seemed pretty concrete for a little while. It was just it seemed like a matter of when not if, it turns out the word that we didn't consider and we should have considered at the time was what. Um, and now we know. And it's weird. It's I don't know how I feel about it. I'm I've, only bummed out but because it, it's still cool, but it's weird. Is it cool? Cause, so this is my question to you. Hmm. I play. I tried to play uh, Red Dead on PlayStation Now when it was available um, a couple of years ago. And I was put off almost immediately because of how dated it looked how dated it felt um and was like this is not how i want to like you know alter my memory of this game like because in my head cool. it, it is a much better version um so to your mind when this comes out um and the physical like I said um, in 10 days and there'll be a physical version that comes out in uh october um mm -hmm. is this the same version effectively that i would have been playing on playstation now just not as laggy because it's um I think there are going to be minor changes. Obviously, one thing that has happened in this process for the first time ever, even if you include the Xbox side of things, which we haven't really touched on yet, because that was that's backwards compatibility. For the first time, a new studio, in this case it's a team called Double Eleven, have taken a video game, in this Red Dead Redemption, and ported it to a new ecosystem. Things will change in that process. The thing is, uh, the, what Rockstar are being very careful to do is they're not calling any of them improvements and they're not highlighting any improvements because as soon as you even hint at the possibility of things getting better, you invite a newfound kind of a degree of speculation. People are going to get their fucking binoculars out and start looking for those improvements. If you call it a conversion and say it's the exact same game, then people have no grounds on which to be disappointed or to expect more than they get. So that's why I think fundamentally it's going to be um, an identical version of the game you played, yes, in like 
in a technical sense, the thing that will be different to the PlayStation Now version you played, other than the fact that it's obviously now local and no longer cloud-based, is uh, resolution. Uh, one thing that is interesting, at least at first, until you start to think about it, is that this is obviously coming to the PlayStation 4 and the Nintendo Switch. That means it's not coming to the Xbox One. The reason being is because Red Dead Redemption has been backwards compatible, backwards compatible excuse me, on those platforms for the entire time. It runs at a native 1440p on the Series S and native 4K on the Series X. So it's been a really nice backwards compatible, backwards compatible title for a while now. Looks very, very sharp at 4K. And it's still for sale in the Xbox Store. So Xbox users have been able to get a fundamentally identical product to this for the past God knows how many years. That's why it's not going to Xbox. And I think in many respects... This is just about bringing parity across the three console families so that there is some playable version of this title. And when I say playable, I also mean sellable version of this title um, going forward. That, to me, that is the most bizarre thing. If, if this was going to be free on the PlayStation Store and, you know, you always know the Nintendo are going to charge for it. So fair enough, whatever. That's a, that's a different kettle of fish. Um, but the fact that it's going to be 50 quid yeah. For even though this does combine the main game and Undead Nightmare, like I cannot it's too much. That's ridiculous. For a te for a game that was probably less than that when it came out, to sell it for fifty pounds now just seems bizarre yeah. to me. It, when it is gonna be fundamentally the same game. I mean, so also so like we said, resolution should be better. Frame rate's gonna be you gonna be good, you'd imagine. Um but yeah, I haven't said the anything about frame rate. I, I, frame rate, I think, is going to be parity with the backwards compatible version. So I think we're talking a lock 30. I think the PS5 version of the Well, the, the PS5 version, which is just a backwards compatible PS4 version, of course, um, I think is going to be native 4K locked 30. Locked 30. <laughs> it should be it should be 120. It should be 4K 120. You know what, You're right. It should be. It should be 4K 120, and it should be less than $50. But this is, I mean, this is where the... the don't, I don't think you could be that disappointed at what product is being come is that is coming out, because you set those expectations. When I don't mean you, 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 Josie, I just mean like people, Pub, the, the general people, you. People set their expectations. If you thought you were going to get Red Dead and Red Dead Two's engine because you read a leak and and imagined it, that's kind of your problem. But the actual things that people can legitimately get disappointed, angry, frustrated with are exactly what you're talking about. Yes, lot thirty frame, but presumably a locked 30 frames per second and a $50 asking price when I checked before we started the podcast we can go down to Computer Exchange here in the UK and buy an Xbox 360 copy off a shelf for £8 and you'd put it in your Xbox Series X and play it at native 4K which is exactly what this PlayStation version is going to be Is this a reaction from Rockstar um, because they feel so badly burnt after the GTA fiasco? So they've said, um, why bother? Yeah. I don't know if I, I don't know if it's quite why bother, but I, there's a part of me that thinks that yes, it is a reaction of sorts, and this might require a bit of tinfoil hat thinking. You might have to rein me back in, Jonesy, if I'm going a bit mental here. <laughs> but do you remember when the GTA trilogy definitive edition was first being rumored and talked about and leaked? I guess if you will, there was a Kotaku writer who was really hot on the case for that one. And he was the person who leaked a lot of the details about that package that eventually became true. And he revealed in his original reporting 
that other projects like the GTA Trilogy Definitive Edition were going to be in the works. And then a couple of months after that, and I think we talked about it at the time, and we talked about this last month when we were when you know the rumors reemerged that in the aftermath of the release of the GTA Trilogy Definitive Edition, Rockstar were rethinking and perhaps even shelving their the work they were doing on re-releasing GTA 4 and Red Dead Redemption. I think based on that reporting and based on the product we've got, I think that's probably true. I think something went horribly wrong with the Grand Theft Auto Trilogy Definitive Edition, uh, both in terms of kind of how it was developed, the finished product, the reception, and the damage it did to elements of Rockstar's reputation. Not, but it's not damage they can't do by releasing a game like GTA 6. So you know, it's all it's damage in inverted commas, right? Um, and I think they probably put it back on the shelf and were looking at it. And I think what they've arrived at here with a product like this it satisfies most parties. You think about the business end of things with Take Two and so on and so forth. They are still getting a product out, a new product out that they can be almost certain is going to sell. A lot of people are going to open that store up, that storefront up on August seventeenth, whether it's on their Switch or their PS4 or their PS5. See Red Dead Redemption. Say, oh shit, I hadn't been able to play that for any point in the last ten years because my PS3 has been in the cupboard, and now I'm going to buy it. And that fifty dollar price tag won't perturb them as much as some tweets will have us believe it will. So in a business sense, I think they're satisfied they're going to make millions of dollars here, and they will. And in rocks, and yeah, then you look at the Rockstar side of things. You don't make any promises, then you don't have any, anything to keep. You know, you don't sell people on higher frame rates only to only for Digital Foundry to tell people it doesn't hit them. You don't sell people on, you know, better lighting only for some people to say they prefer the original. You don't sell people on, you know, higher level of details only for people to start complaining about popping. Like you just give people the fucking game and you tell them it's a conversion, and that's exactly what they did. And they can't they can't be disappointed in the same way that. You can't end up with egg on their face. The only way they can end up with egg in their face this time around is pricing. Um, and I think they have in some respects. But a scary amount of people, as we always know with these things, will complain about it and then immediately get over it. They're unhappy. $50 is too expensive. The day it comes out, what do you mean? Of course I'm fucking buying Red Dead Redemption. I'm in that camp. That's why I'm not complaining about the price. I'm absolutely buying this product. That, that to me seems crazy. Purely because, so I would say that when it's a remaster or a remake, there is a brand new version of a game coming out that you, that I understand if you, you know, if you're really into a series, if you really love a, um, a game, it makes sense to me to say, I'm going to go and buy it. When they say, oh, we're making, there to me, the conversion thing is effectively, we're making this available on current systems. So yeah, they're saying to me, it's work. It does take work. I'm, I'm not trying to say it doesn't. And, and the conversion absolutely is a thing. Like they're going to have to do work to get it to make it available. It's not just a matter of adding a store page to the PlayStation store. Like, absolutely. Yep. However, when they say we're making this available on the current system, and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I'd probably have a little dabble with that, you know, three pound, four pound, and they're like, it's 50 quid. And I'm like, wow, you have uh, gone mental. Double Eleven, I had to look them up because I hadn't heard of them prior to this. They've got 300 employees, you know. Oh, I'm being silly. around With the two, three. No, but like, okay, okay, I can see how that would be an exaggeration. But I can also see how this would be a tough thing to price. Do you remember, like, we, you know how we, we've talked about Red Dead so much in the past, I forget which analogies we've um, aired on this beautiful podcast <laughs> over the years. Um, but you know how there's always been that conversation about how Red Dead never got remastered and never came to PC and how that was always really weird. And we talked about the analogy of the suitcase 
how Red Dead was always described as this suitcase that, um, like, that you had to sit on for 15 minutes just to get the clips down, and it was as full as it was going to be. And to remaster it or to remake it or to re-release it or to, or to do a PC port would be to flick open the locks and have the suitcase burst open and send socks flying around the room. Like, if this is a case of them approaching a sizable studio, like it's 300 people in two studios around the world, worked with, you know, Bethesda and Microsoft and, and whomever in the past, um, and saying to them, we need you to open the suitcase and then get all the clothes back inside this new suitcase. <laughs> like, if that did take 300 people a year to do, it costs money. Games cost money, and this is this is one of them. I think now fifty dollars. <laughs> it's it's so it's, that's why it's tough. It is tough. I I kind of have a little bit more of a see. I think the reason is fifty dollars is not because it, that's how much it costs. It's because they know not many people are going to buy it. I I know what you mean. Like there will be a lot of people who buy it, but I don't think it's anywhere near as many buy it as would have bought it if it was like a remaster. But what they're trying to do is they say was the price point we need to come in at in order to cover our costs. And we know right. it's going to have a massively reduced, like, you know, I don't know, let's say 100,000 people bought it. And they're like, we need to sell it for at least 50 quid based on 100,000, 200,000 people are going to buy it to make it worthwhile. I, I kind of feel like it's one of those where they could easily yeah. have sold it for a tenner if they thought three, four million people were going to buy it, but they just like, they're not. I, well, I personally think three, four million people will buy it. Um, that's my feeling. But, but I think you're right. Uh, the other depressing thing about something like this is... There probably is um, somewhere, some metric, some you know piece of data, some piece of information that they have, either at Rockstar or at Take-Two or wherever, that's like, these are the number of people that will buy it regardless of the price. Like, right. X percent drop off at $20, X percent drop off at 30 X percent drop off at 40 but there is a 30% of this number will pay all the way up to and including $70, no matter what we put out. And I know that that number exists because I'm in that number. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I still, again, I still think regardless of how disappointed you can be that this isn't the remaster or the remake that it could have been, there is still that element of like, uh, okay, then go and play Red Dead Redemption. Most people out there will either shrug and say, I can't, or I can't be bothered to do the legwork it would take to get it set up again. Who still owns their PS3? You know, who owns a three a physical... Well, you actually have to own a physical 360 copy. But, like, you think about the... Between the PS4 and the PS5, the 100 million-plus consoles out there, how many people blow... The, of those 100 million-plus people blow the dust off a PS3 every time they want to play this game? How many people put in the legwork to find out how to emulate it on their PS3, PC through Xenia or whatever it's called? Like, it's just not that big a number compared to the amount of people who would play Red Dead again, in my opinion. I, I can I absolutely can see it's gonna be big when PlayStation have a sale and it's like seventy percent off or maybe not seventy maybe fifty percent off and suddenly twenty five quid to be able to play the best version of Red Dead you've ever played is doesn't seem that ridiculous I I could see that yeah. more of a thing um, but you know well I we'll have to wait and see I'll, I'll be interested to see how well it does uh, at full price when it releases. Um, and yeah. I, I'm, I have to be honest, I would like to play that game and to see how it looks and feels on a PlayStation Five. Um, yeah, or or yeah. I could just I could find a mate with an Xbox, which kind of like a one. Or yeah. That is also very depressingly true. There's one other element as well, which I feel like I've been talking around for some reason because it is also another fascinating wrinkle in all of this, which is 
the Nintendo Switch. If that's a good port, there are 130, another 130 million Nintendo Switches out there, JMC. And that's a video game that has never been, never been on a single Nintendo platform. You know, it's not like there was a fucking Wii or Wii U version of Red Dead Redemption. They're not, they're, they're, they're not even used to getting GTA games. <laughs> and now Red Dead Redemption is coming to what is still at the time of recording the most recent, most up-to-date Nintendo hardware as well. So I, I, that is such an unknown quantity, the, the Switch <laughs> aspect. I don't yeah, even right? want to guess because for, yeah, for, that's a completely different conversation. That's like saying, did you hear the Witcher 3 is coming to Switch? And you're like, mm. what? Okay. Like this is, I, I can see that there's a lot of people that buy on Switch. I I, well, yeah. I can. And when you say it's 50 quid on Switch, everyone's going to be like, yeah, that's what Nintendo charged for every yeah. game. That sounds like a reasonable <laughs> price for a Switch game all of a sudden. Yeah, blimey, 20, 50 quid. I'm actually saving like 20 pounds on a, on a Switch game. Yeah. And it, and it's better resolution than they would be. And it probably look, you know doesn't look too bad. Yeah, that is a very different um, <laughs> prospect. Uh, interesting, though. Interesting. Oh, we'll have to, have, and we won't even have to wait that long to see how it does, you know, on release. Because, like I said, it's it's, uh, it's impending. It's, it's ten days. Um, I think I said, as I say, it's August seventeenth. August seventeenth. So ten days from today, time from on the seventh, which is uh, when we're recording this. Um, well, let's move. I'm glad, it's, I'm glad it's soon. I'm excited about playing Red Dead again in ten days. That's oh, awesome. you are so weird. Like I don't. The fact that you just oh, I can't, can't, Beth. You've you've got an you've got an Xbox. Like you could go and play it. I yeah. Right now, I've got I've got an Xbox and a physical copy of the game. I can play it right now. I've got both within six feet of where like, I'm sitting right now. You could just play it. Yeah, but I'm really excited about playing Red Dead again. No, you aren't because it's sitting at your feet and you can't be asked. See, here's the thing, Josie. Does it feel real if you didn't just pay money for it all over again? <laughs> Fifty. I need I need it to I need it to feel real. Yeah. See, I, it's that thing of like when we were talking about earlier in the year, and I haven't played it yet. Um, but like Dead Space, I I'm, I'm so I'm so keen to like play that still. This I'm just like I I haven't missed it for the, since I played it ten years ago. I'm not going to miss it. Oh, fair enough. I'm not going to miss it now. Like there there will be a time when that seems like a good idea, but it is not release day. It's it's when there's serious discount day for sure. Yeah, or maybe yeah, or like you said, maybe even some element of it for free. Like if I remember correctly. They ended up breaking them up uh, into each individual title, but it didn't take too long before some of the components of the GTA trilogy definitive edition came to PlayStation Now. Do you remember there was a point where Vice City, that Vice City remaster was on? Oh, not PlayStation Now, PlayStation Plus, excuse me. Uh, so, no, yeah, um, streaming, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, not streaming. Yeah, the, the Plus sort of games catalogue. Like, Vice City was on there for a while, and 3 was on there for a while. And that game did sell, like... 10 million plus copies very quickly and they still so you know um i think there's a chance that once that they've kind of got that and the initial fan fever out the way and it's people are used to having red dead around in their lives again then maybe there is a heavily reduced or even free version somewhere in in the midst it is weird as well because it's like you said if they don't over promise can people be mad like this is the question that i've been asking myself all afternoon um, I can answer. I can tell you what it seems like. Some people on Twitter think the answer to that question is, which is <laughs> yes, very much so. But then it's that. I mean, and I think you are, you've often made the point to like me and Chris in the past when you said like you're angry about a game that doesn't exist. 
and it's all like yes, the game you yeah. want it to be. So there is a level yeah. of that. It's like, okay, you want it to be a remaster. You want it to at the bare minimum, or sorry, you want it to be a remake. At the bare minimum, you want it to be a remaster. How can you be mad that they haven't done that? Like that could come in the future. Like you never know. PlayStation Six, maybe they do do a remake of Red Dead and uh, uh, etc. It just feels like that's further away at this point with a conversion. But we'll have to see. Yeah, yeah. That's I guess that is a bummer. You're right. This being real means that anything broader or bigger feels further away now, or even redundant potentially, depending on how these games continue to age over the next decade. I mean, let's be real. That's how that's how the kind of timeframes we're talking about now. If Red Dead is still re you know, relevant twenty years after release, then maybe we get a remake. But who knows? Who knows? Indeed. Um, well, Jamie, do you want to know something else that may seem redundant but isn't? Uh, is it us in this podcast? Yes, and it's our Patreon uh, <laughs> that you can support us on over on patreon.com forward slash super show. Uh, you can head over there to check out um, a couple of different tiers we've got. Uh, you can get access to our Discord server um, and chat to us, or you can um, go for a slightly higher tier and you can see some behind the scenes stuff, some videos we've made in the past, um, some uh, pilots that we did back in our ATG days, uh, um, and even making a murderer. No, not making a murderer. That's the real one. What is it called? <laughs> uh, known murderer. Known murderers. Known murderer. Uh, one of our episodes of Known Murderer on there. Um, shout out to Matthew Broderick. Absolutely. Shout out to Matthew Broderick. Uh, I would also like to give a massive shout out, not just to Matthew Broderick, but to our Patreons, people that support us uh, week in, week out. There are some names on screen right now of these absolute legends, um, but I would also like to give a shout out uh, to some by name. I'm talking about Aaron Cameron, Athletic Gravy, Brimstone, Cole K, Ice Not Rock Salt, Jesper Camdown Nielsen, Leo Merger, Mindful Pig, Mr. Anthropic, Pastors Guild, and the big dogs, the members of the board. I'm talking Brett Z, aka Shellshock, Geometric Potter, Hacksaw Book Reed, Manuel Guerrero, and Pease Wad. Um, you are all absolute legends. Thank you for supporting us. Uh, thank you for um, getting us to come back week after week and talk game and news for you. Um, oh, yeah. And get mad about the fact that Rockstar are stitching us up. You simultaneously allow us to give us the funds we need to make a podcast where we get mad about what Rockstar do and give us the funds we need to buy the products that allow Rockstar to continue annoying us. It's it's a, uh, an irony that, you know, we'll never, we'll never die. What can we say? Yeah. Um, well, enough of Rockstar. Jamie, what have you been doing in this last week? What have you been playing, uh, watching... It's pretty low-key. I do just want to give a shout-out to one thing, though, um, and that is a an indie game I've played in the last week. I think it came out uh, just as we were recording last week's podcast, so I didn't get to it till the week. Um, and that is Venba, which is a new indie. I think it's described as a narrative cooking game that um, if anyone is interested in, they can actually check it out on Game Pass on Xbox and PC. I played the PC version, and it was um, A-OK. -okay. Um I, just wanted, I wanted to shout it out because it for me like I, look, I took one look at it although i was already kind of intrigued by the cooking element because you know me i'm going all the way back to like cooking mama and stuff like that i've always had a weird thing around games that games that let you cook in kind of like a hand any kind of hand remotely hands-on way like even if i'm just wiggling my mouse around to mimic the movements of someone kneading dough or slicing a piece <laughs> of meat like there's something very engaging about that for me um and so i was intrigued and then while i looked at it it reminded me of a lot of other sort of short narrative experiences um, 
like uh, Florence is one for anyone who ever played that on mobile. Um, I'm, I, one that it also reminded me very much of was there was another mobile game from Us Two Games called Assemble with Care. And the reason it reminded me of that is because Assemble with Care was kind of a narrative game that then broke up the narrative with mini games that were designed around disassembling and then reassembling certain goods like watches and, you know, a, a, a rip-off Game Boy Color and stuff like that. This is similar in that it's a narrative game that where the the cooking mini games are kind of these interstitials that don't contain as much of the storytelling as, say, something like Unpacking, where you actually are sort of like deducing story elements and narrative elements through the act of what you're doing. In this, the cooking almost serves as kind of like these vignettes that mark certain occasions on the life of this family. Uh, Venber is the name of the mother of a family who, um, when uh, shortly after she gets married, the uh, she's from India, and the couple emigrate to Canada. And so um, you kind of check back in on their life over like every kind of in like five or six year chunks or whatever it is as they get married they move to india um they have a child that child grows up and it deals with some like a lot of the things you kind of kind of that i i'm not super familiar with which is why i found it engaging like what it was like for two people from a very certain culture and a very certain background to raise a child in a completely new one and how uncertain they felt about like the, the kind of the language their child was picking up or the kind of the cultural elements the relationship that child grew up with when it came to like eating food that is from his background or speaking a language that is part of his background and part of his heritage when he's growing up in a place that's so different um but it also touches on like i don't know like the the, the troubles of like um, the, 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 that a family of immigrants would have gone through um it started the story starts in the in the 80s um, and kind of goes through the 80s, 90s, and into kind of the mid-noughties. Um, it, uh, it, it touches on a lot of really interesting notes, and also but then keeps cooking and and the you know the culinary traditions of this Indian family as kind of a really nice touchstone that the story can kind of like go back to as it cycles through these beats. Of what in the end is actually a really quite endearing and at times very uh, surprisingly emotional story. That is delivered really nicely. It's got a really nice art style, great soundtrack. The cooking elements of it are a little bit simplistic, but because the, you can complete the game in an hour, um, it doesn't really matter. So, yeah, for anyone that wants like a really nice, um, surprisingly touching, um, and and potentially for someone again for someone like me and maybe anyone else listening out there, uh, eye opening kind of indie game. Um, with strong narrative and even cooking hooks, then yeah, Vember Game Pass. Um, I'll give it a thumbs up. I, I do like that. One thing I always say about <clears throat> indie games is obviously they often have like a hook, which is um, like a game mechanic or something, and you can really tell like, oh, they've built this whole game around this. But when you've got something which takes a story, which is sort of intriguing, interesting, and then attaches a different kind of game to it, I think that's, um, yeah, that sounds, yeah. That sounds really cool. This yeah, this it's it's not quite like like I feel like unpacking is kind of as you were describing. It's like they come up came up with this concept and they made it satisfying and they worked narrative elements into the you know the game design at times and even elements of environmental storytelling. Vemba doesn't feel like a game where they made the world's best cooking mini game and said we've got to wrap a story around this. This feels like um, a developer. I'd imagine, I don't know that much about the team, but I imagine an individual or a group of individuals with a very personal story to tell. And they found that cooking and food and the role it served within their life and their connection with their family 
was such an important touchstone and a, such a, an effective means of telling that story and how the that family and their relationship developed that they use that as kind of the main linchpin of how the game comes together which is to say like i said like don't go into this expecting cooking mama um it's it's like a light puzzle game with cooking elements but really it's the narrative that wraps around it that kind of um was more engaging than i thought it was going to be at first and and makes the whole package kind of come together and like i said an hour like it's there aren't many games out there that you can feel completely satisfied with after an hour sat in front of your tv or your computer and it like that's a selling point for me at the, at this point in my life so yeah no, why not <clears throat> yeah no i'm totally with you like it's, it's nice to some sometimes not need 30 40 hours to sort of like sit and knock a game out um, yeah well, going from, you know, a touching uh, um, story about, you know, the culinary delights of an of a immigrant family and how they dealt with um, life, I've yeah. gone the opposite direction because I played a bit of Teardown uh, in this past week, which, um, if anyone remembers, was um, is a, a heist game all about breaking shit because the whole game is made of, like, these little voxel, like, p- um, pieces and the entirety of the game is destructible. Um I think we talked. I think you talked about it on the podcast a while ago, um, and then uh, I, my kids were watching someone play it on YouTube, and I was like, "Right, well, I recognise that art style, but I'm not sure what game that is." And everything was kind of breaking, and it was a mod. Uh, and I was like, oh, "Yeah, what is that?" And yeah, I looked it up, and I was like, "Oh, it's Teardown. I really want to play that." Yeah, so mm-hmm. I, I hopped in and played some Teardown. Um, nice. It's fun. It's fun. It's destructive scenery. It's kind of weird. It's it's building. You know, it's it's coming up with ways to. Um, uh, give you tools to use and then reasons to use them. Um, so like you can plan a heist and you can go and bust loads of walls and position vehicles so you can smash through stuff and, you know, do heists in a in a timely fashion. But no, it's, it's cool. Um, which uh, which console did you end up getting on? I've been playing, I, I was playing on PC. Um, no, it's okay. Yeah. It's good. Uh, I thought that would be the way to do it. Um, Agreed, and, yeah. I've been enjoying it. Um, I'll go on. I was going to say, have you been able to destroy the frame rate yet? Because I've seen some people, usually with mods, that just like they'll drop a nuclear bomb on <laughs> on a map, and their game just goes down to one frame a second for about ten minutes. I've seen that as well, and I've actually seen people break the entire where they've had to start restart the game because it yeah. actually broke. I've not done that yet. Like I've not had, um, I've not even had frame rate dips yet because uh, I've not done anything big enough. But I'm sure, okay, nice. sure, I'm sure we'll get there. I don't think it'll be that that long. Yeah. Um, I wanted to mention something slightly random as well, a little bit different. Um, I've been playing Jedi Survivor, which I still haven't finished, uh, but I will finish it, I think, relatively soon because I'm, I'm nearly there. But even though that game does have some issues, like it's a very good game, I'm really enjoying it, but it does have some issues. It's not without, um, without its problems. However, one thing that is not a problem for me in that game and wasn't in the previous one is how much I love BD, uh, be little BD1, your little companion. Um and I treated myself in the past uh, week because you can buy a Lego BD1. And I finished building it. And so I was like, let me show it off on the podcast. With I'm, a, I'm not like a big Lego guy. I do like it. Right. It's a bit random for me. And then I bought this. Yeah. And I genuinely am really impressed with, with it, how it turned out. And I think this is, this is pretty see. sick. So look, here is my little BD. There's a for some oh, yeah. I was just thinking, is, we've, we've now got your head for skip. Put it like exactly level with your head. I just broke a piece off when I was doing that. Look at that. Level with my oh, head. Oh, that's classic Lego. Okay, yeah, that's a good size. It's a very good size. It's a good size. Uh, and that is even. I've also said that to someone showing me their webcam. His little eyebrows move. 
his uh his antenna move his head tilts right cool. up and down as well and his legs move so you can like put him in different positions and stuff and he's even got his little stim canister pack thing here so you can open the oh that's cool does it pop off uh and so it? It, it comes out like the whole thing comes out so if i like open this nothing i'll be able to uh, okay it would be cool if they kind of like spring loaded it because you know how in the game it kind of like pings up in the air and Cal catches it. If you could do that and catch it, I, I might maybe I'll have to see if I can mod it so that that happens. But yeah, I thought that was pretty sick. The only thing I want to do now is because obviously customization of BD, the customization of BD in the game is is quite a big thing. And I was like, John, what I should do is actually like paint it. Oh, pay, yeah, that would be cool. Give yeah, it a, a cool paint job, but we'll see. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's interesting as well that between um, the two things that you've brought to the table this week, Jonesy, one involved uh, tearing down everything around you block by block, the other involved building. And yet, in spite of all of your experiences that you've had from Teardown to BD1, it's remarkable that you still completely agree with me that Red Faction Guerrilla is still the master of destruction. If Red Faction Guerrilla had building or destruction, anything like Teardown or Lego, I would like it. Uh, it doesn't. Just a rubbish. Just a, just a hater. I'm a hater. Yeah, you uh, you just could, you were just annoyed that you couldn't come up with a better name for a re-release than remastered because it's Re set on Mars. Yeah, no, it, I know why I don't like it, and it's because if you play the first uh, Red Faction and see the destruction go. in the first one, and then compare it to Gorilla, it's so different. And I wasn't expecting it to be that different. Yeah, like yeah, it. It, 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 amazing how differently better it is. In retraction, gorilla. Maybe, maybe. Anyway, <laughs> now you're meant to argue with me. Talking about first-person shooters, hey, which the original Red Faction was not gorilla. Obviously, it was third person. <laughs> um, Call of Duty. As uh, we've had the reveal, we know what game we're going to get this year. It's going to be Modern Warfare Three. It is coming in November. Um, yeah, no one has been surprised by this whatsoever. Um, I think you know after the success of the reboot. Of modern warfare is not at all surprising um it's coming the 10th of november um and it's so because uh, we were talking about this before the pod jamie i'm a little bit lost with the story of modern warfare yeah. after it started and it got reimagined and it's been is it a reimagining of the story i don't even know what you call it it's like a different timeline they've marveled it it's a different timeline they, they, they have kind of marveled it a bit but without actually marveling it if that makes sense it was it was a reboot with a story that itself was a reimagining. So but there are we at story. Where so, are we gonna be also, jumping okay, off question. and jumping into? So the important thing to note is that nothing is exactly the same. But roughly speaking, what happened is that Modern Warfare twenty nineteen um, told a new story that had some familiar characters in it obviously front and center and all of that and still to be front and center in Modern Warfare 3 is of course our old pal Captain Price which was the like one of a handful of links yeah at the end of Modern Warfare 2019 it became clear that um uh like for example a character in that game called Garrick was in fact nicknamed Gaz it became clear that Ghost was in the scene it became clear that Soper McTavish was on the scene and Task Force 141 was officially assembled which essentially meant that by the time Modern Warfare 2 um, from last year uh, came out, um, we were now in line with where the original trilogy kind of kicked off, albeit with different threats. Um, and so, as spoilers for Modern Warfare 2 now, which, I mean, you've had a year, and I feel like with the way Call of Duty stories kind of work, if 
we haven't played it by now, then maybe you won't. But I'll just give a spoiler warning either way. It basically it had, it sped through a lot of what the original trilogy did. So, like we said, we had the full implementation of uh, people like Soap and people like Ghost. We had the betrayal of Com like uh, Com uh, from Commander Shepard. Um, uh, we had the introduction of Russian ultranationalists and the name drop of Makarov. All of this stuff went down in different ways. For example, Commander Shepard is a traitor now, but he hasn't shot Ghost in the head, which is which is a plus because Ghost is a cool character. Um, when he's not being voiced by like weird sexist people. Um, and a bit, sorry to get long story short, what we're going into now with modern with this Modern Warfare Three has a lot in common with the previous Modern Warfare Two, which is that Makarov, a, a, a Russian ultra nationalist and soon to be I think de facto leader of Russia, has risen to power has a lot of Russians on his side. They are planning, or in, I think perhaps even have executed, depending on, on your interpretation of a final cutscene in Modern Warfare 2, a new uh, iteration on No Russian, which is, of course, a false flag terrorist attack that the United States will be blamed for, and also Commander Shepard, or General Shepard, or whatever, I can't remember his rank now, is uh, has betrayed the US military. Um... So now, in, in the original game, that false flag attack in the form of a, an airport terrorist attack, an airport yeah. massacre, initiated a full-scale invasion of America by Russian forces. I've got a feeling that Modern Warfare 3 is not going to do that. And ended um, with a nuke going off in America, didn't it? it they do like a big EMP drop thing, don't they? Um, is it not? An, I thought there was a nuke goes off because you're in like, the back of a, a badger or whatever they call it, a honey badger truck things and then you see like a mushroom cloud don't you am i getting them confused that's the, that that's how a character dies in the first modern warfare is that the first one? in a in, in the back of a helicopter and like you're looking out the back of a helicopter as you're flying out of a city and you get caught in the explosion the helicopter gets the problem is i don't remember the original modern warfare 3 well enough this is the issue i i they all blend together for me and they become all, all muddled as well the thing the thing you need to know all you really need to know about this one is that like shepherd gaz you know, um, not Shepard, excuse me, Price, Gaz, Soap, and Ghost, as Task Force 1 for 1, are there on the scene. They're still led That's by that Laswell woman. Yeah, people like Alex, the guy with one leg, and Farah, the, the militia woman, are still on the scene. Makarov is, is the bad guy. Shepard's a bad guy. And the only other thing that is kind of new is that, obviously, the Los Vaqueros, the Mexican sort of special forces, who are, of course, introduced as a story element in Modern Warfare 2, probably just because the de developers wanted to rip off as much of Sicario as possible. <laughs> and they so, did exactly that. That was so that, yeah, we were talking briefly before, like that, but it was a shame that there was a whole section of that which I really enjoyed. When you were um, running through the houses and you were trying to catch the guys and you had, uh, mm. and you were like trying to clear houses and check rooms and you were trying not to shoot the, um, the civilians. And then you go out, you get, you know, you get some pretty hefty weapons and you go out of the back door of a house and a couple of cars turn up. And you just like blow away everyone who's available, who's there. Mm -hmm. That was wicked. You unfortunately also then had the bit where you run around this little streety bit for um, you know a while with a spoon trying to take out um, enemies, which I did not enjoy. And trying to uh, just uh, yeah, just stealth around, leaving traps for them, and then making a noise so that they walk over your trap and they get blown up. And then it yeah, was, yeah, ridiculous. It was almost Last of Us inspired in weird ways, wasn't it? Like yes. scavenging, crafting. Hiding, skulking, 
yeah, like what the hell happened to Call of Duty that you suddenly were using all these different things to craft and do whatever. But no, that was horrible because you ended up also that like uh, rushing to an area so you could sit down and craft something um, so you could carry on, which I, yeah, I did not enjoy. Didn't enjoy it at all. But it was a weird fit. I don't know if they're going to bring that back for this one. I'll be curious to see. Yes. No, me, me too. Um, we, we, so we'll just say as well, that, so this actually wasn't going to be an actual game. This was supposed to be a, uh, an expansion to Modern mm. Warfare 2 uh, coming from Bloomberg. Um, Jason Schreier reported earlier in the year that it was going to be an expansion, but they decided that they were going to turn into a fully-fledged sequel um, and it will include a campaign, multiplayer, uh, and zombies. So you've got to imagine that maybe it was sort of just was growing beyond an expansion and they said hey do you know what let's go for this um this is going to be made by sledgehammer games um and so last year's obviously was made by infinity ward that little tag team that they um often do seems to still be going strong um yeah it was we, good. it's a weird one but but yeah i'd say what is going to be weird about this is well you're going to get to a point in maybe five ten years time when you're talking about remakes remasters etc 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 and you've got two uh arcs from modern mm. warfare which are almost almost the same not quite and then you're gonna have people saying well the definitive edition was you know it, it went modern warfare one modern warfare two two then modern warfare two then modern <laughs> and it's just gonna get super confusing yeah the fact that we're already living in an era where there are certain game titles that you need to remember the years associated with them when you say them out loud they matter like Doom 2016 might as well be called Doom 2016 because that's just that's just how it rolls off the tongue now, right? Yeah, yeah, you have to. It's the same with films and TV shows and all sorts. Yeah, you have to now say the year because otherwise everyone says what? Like, uh, yeah, like what's uh, like Suicide Squad? Suicide Squad's another one. You seem to wet. So they, Squad. they, the Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad. They, uh, that was the right because they, they, they added the the. Because um, <laughs> he's mentioned. Yeah, exactly. Um, the mod, the the Modern Warfare, the Call of Duty. I can see it working. And God, God of War. God of War did it to us, of course, as well. Yeah, you're right. You're God of War 2018. Um, God of War 2018. Like, yeah. It's 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 confusing, and uh, we're just going to have to remember certain things, but it's especially confusing. Like, in, with the case of Doom, which I you know, we just mentioned, like, at least then they were like, okay, we probably can't call this Doom 2. And I wasn't sure about the name Doom Eternal, but now you know, many years on, I'm grateful for it. The balls to have a second Modern Warfare trilogy just straight up called Modern Warfare 2 and 3. Um, I, I kind of admire it, especially when it's from the exact same developer and the exact same publisher, and they're not that, like, crazy far apart. Like, like Modern Warfare 3 came out in 2011, um, so... It's weird to think that this was yeah. the thing that PlayStation were building their entire... Uh, you know, like argument against Xbox at one point was like Call of Modern Warfare is a I'm oh, sorry, Call of Duty is a uh, is a genre to itself. It's in its own right. Yeah. It's, it does seem kinda kinda strange. It, it does. Especially when you consider like I'm I am fascinated by what you were saying about how like this was originally gonna be some kind of DLC with a story expansion. There there was a point in time where there was very strong reporting, very reliable reporting that suggested this would be the first year in God knows how long, where we wouldn't have a Call of Duty game. Do you remember when that was just mm. almost accepted fact? Because there are, at this stage in the game, there are journalists and individuals out there, insiders, who are accepted to be in the know on Call of Duty. And that's what they were saying and seemingly was the plan. At the that 
but to be fair to them, that would have been accurate if this was a DLC or an expansion. That's what I mean. Yeah, um, that's what I mean. So they've actually they're, they're not wrong in in the fact that it's now becomes has become a fully fledged game is a bit surprising. But it's almost ironic because I think with Call of Duty, they some it feels like they need that year off sometimes in order to say it's getting away from itself a little bit. Um, take a year, but, yeah. Breathe. No, they've never taken a year though. I thought they had. I thought they took a year off after. Um, was it Advanced Warfare or something? I thought they took a year off around then. Did they not? They've never taken I mean, a year off. Might, uh, they've never taken a year off, but the thing is, since games like Advanced Warfare, which I think was the first um, e the first Sledgehammer one, they've had three studios. Sledgehammer, oh, right. Infinity Ward, and Treyarch have um, rolled. So every studio was meant to get three years to make a game, um, which is why like it, took, it was three years between Modern Warfare and Modern Warfare 2, and now we're immediate. This is the first time... Maybe ever? No. This, sorry, this is this is the first time since like because um, it should be I guess it should be a Black Ops game, right? Or it should be a uh... it should be yeah because Vanguard was um, yeah because we'd be, we'd be back to Treyarch whose last one was uh, Black Ops Cold War, um, which came out in the end of twenty yeah the end of twenty twenty so three years ago so we should have been back to Treyarch and then back to Sledgehammer no and then back to um, I'm going to confuse myself. Um, but yeah, like ever ever since um, Modern Warfare Four. Sorry, excuse me. I'm getting. I'm just getting all, all the words wrong. That as, as soon as, ever since Call of Duty Four led directly onto World at War yeah. and broke up the uh, first two Modern Warfare games, um, they have been on at least a two year rotating cycle, and that became three years when they added Sledgehammer into the mix. I can't. I try. I try to think of what the, my first ever COD was. I can't remember. It's been too long. Um, I have no idea. I, so I I played World of War, but then I don't know. I don't know if I played. Did you play Call of Duty Four? I don't think I did. You know, maybe all, it was all, gill, all, all gillied up. Price and uh, Macmillan. Oh yeah, radiated. Yeah, so that was you played Call of Duty Four then. Oh, that was four. Okay, no, I did play that. And then three was just a straight up World War Two game with you know a pretty forgettable campaign and. Um, no, I don't. Yeah, I didn't play yeah, that. I think I was a um, I was a Medal of Honor guy before yeah back then mm. um do you play like medal of honor like airborne the one where you parachute out at the beginning of all, every match and stuff like no that? i played the one before that i think it was where it's like the same in private ryan intro where you're right oh, the beer and, the, and the, or that was playing that our opening of that game it was like it's exactly like the movie the, it looks exactly the same there's no <laughs> different in the graphics it's absolutely incredible uh except the fog means that your um your draw distance is about three feet <laughs> Yeah, Steven Spielberg didn't have to worry about draw distance. Did you play the modern uh, modern military uh, Medal of Honor games? Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, when were when were they? When about when were they? Uh, uh, two thousand and ten, the first one maybe. No, 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 no. That was. I think I was well off of it by then. Okay. Yes, they, were, they weren't great, but that was it. Was an interesting uh, attempt. I, I I need to try others. I Battlefield for me was um was a lot better than COD for a long time. I was, of course, I was yeah. much preferred the multiplayer there, but yeah, shame what's happened to them the last few years as well. But you never know. Hopefully, they can pull it back, and we'll get some cool Battlefield. They just, they just need to make another bad company, and everyone's happy. It's like the answer has been in front of their face the entire time. They do. Bad Company Two was absolutely cracking. Um, our bad company one. They're both great. Um, 
something else which is great, Jamie, and or could be great, I should say, uh, because the first one was very good. Hideo Kojima um, has been uh, getting interviewed, and he's been talking about um, what a, what else but Death Stranding two. Because mm-hmm. Death Stranding one was fantastic, which is obviously what I'm talking about. Even though I haven't actually finished it, um, I'm only only 25 hours in. No, I'm not. 30 now. I played a bit more. 30 hours in. That's um, good. But, but the reason we're talking about uh, Death Stranding 2 um, and Strand Games and Hideo is because he's been saying that after the pandemic, he actually felt compelled to rewrite the story um, of Death Stranding 2. And he'd actually put together um, the concept and what was going to happen in Death Stranding 2 before the pandemic. And he said that what happened during the pandemic and the way uh, the interconnectivity of people and the way that people dealt with it uh, caused him to want to change um, some of the aspects of the story. Which, of course, yeah, because this uh, the whole idea of Death Stranding is their strand games are about connectivity, they're about people, they're about how they integrate. Um, and yeah, I suppose that that, I guess the pandemic almost gave him a um, unparalleled insight into how people deal with that kind of disconnectedness, um, which mm. Death Stranding deals with in the way that you are going to those people that are held up in their own little areas and don't really venture out, right? Um, so it's kind of yeah. weird, weirdly similar concept i suppose right it, it's almost as though the first death stranding was like more prophetic about our potential digital connectedness in the future than he thought it would be um or the, than he can ever have imagined because who could have predicted um what would have happened the year after that game's release um and he created this world like you said in which people are somewhat isolated from one another and there are very good reasons to not leave the shelter or the safety or wherever it, of whatever it is you're holed up but there are individuals committed to this cause of reconnecting people and even if it's digitally kind of bringing the world back together making america whole again or whatever you know they talk about in death stranding and yet it's, it almost sounds as though kojima experienced the pandemic himself experienced what it's like to be isolated experienced what it's like to connect with people via you know microphones and webcams and to not have that human contact has said actually maybe this shouldn't be that aspirational maybe someone connecting the world world digitally and kind of like encouraging them to stay uh, where they are isn't a good message and like the most interesting quote i think that was pulled from all of this is if you don't mind me reading it in death stranding 2 the interpretation of strand evolves You'll notice at the end of the teaser trailer a message that says, quote, should we have connected? That's the crux of what we're trying to articulate in the sequel. And I, there's something intriguing, isn't there, about the idea of, like, acknowledging that the way the, the, the rope that connected everyone in Death Stranding actually ended up being a bad idea or, like, him, like, there'd be some regret about um, the Strand... The strand elements. I'm just going to throw in the word strand because it doesn't mean anything when he says it, so it doesn't have to mean anything <laughs> when I say it either. Um, it's a strand type game, Jesse. Um, oh, how is no one coined strand theory yet? Like string theory of a strand. Oh, I'm, strand I'm, 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 I bet someone, I bet there's an email in game where someone mentions strand. Guillermo del Toro's character says, Have you heard about strand theory? I don't I'm, jo- I'm joking. I don't. I didn't know. I just saw a, I just saw a comment which could be amazing from Joel. Okay. Who said, Strand means beach in Swedish. Oh, I, I didn't know that, but that makes a lot of sense. Like the, the beach, the beached ones. Yeah, beach things. And beach everyone things. has their own individual beach that 
I don't know if you got to that part of the story right, but like... Has Joel just blown apart the entire narrative of um, giving us an insight? I think the idea of a Hideo story being blown apart by the fact that we realised to use Google Translate at some point in the process sounds extremely believable. I, I, I find one thing I find really interesting about his take with the pandemic and, and how it affects the story is, yeah, because I suppose you can you can take from De- the, from Death Stranding that the, the the digital connectedness for people was like, oh yeah, as long as you're connected, as long as you're part of the network, like that's good. And that's good for everybody. And you don't need to be, um, you don't need to actually go there as long as you're part of the network, as long as you're part of this sort of interconnected um, thing. But mm. then I said, but then at the same time, you are building physical connections. Like bridges are out there building roads, building bridges, connecting yep, people true. physically. You do have the, um, uh, the porters who are taking things who are actually physically out there. So I I'm, maybe he's being a bit mean to himself by sort of suggesting that he was saying that all you need is digital connectivity because there was more. Um, and he, yeah, those missions where you had, you mummified a person on the back of your bike and sort of like drove them around, you know, to get them from A, yeah. a to B. There was also a lot of physical barriers to people going too far in Death Stranding and it was very dangerous, like, you know, time fall. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think maybe he's, um, he's maybe think, overthinking the fact that he was trying to say digital connectedness was all you needed. Um, and you didn't need to wander about because it was obviously very dangerous in Death Stranding too. Uh, in Death Stranding, but I'm I am interested now to know. So if he had the narrative down, um, most of the like the, the direction of the narrative of Death Stranding too, I wonder if that means that he's going to effectively completely flip, maybe like an outcome, and is it going to have maybe. a real big knock on? And he's going to say, Do you know what, Sam's going to have to, or not Sam now, but whoever's going to have to bring down. Um, the network and actually get everyone just to come together as almost like a what were we watching when we met up yesterday Ziz Zion like more of the Matrix oh. style cave rave yeah everyone's gonna have oh, energy in the cave I mean I wouldn't considering some of the uh, the actresses they've cast in Death Stranding 2 I wouldn't be complaining to that um, but yeah you know it, it, you're, it's interesting like when You've got to take a lot of what Kojima says, both in the context of like both within his games and it, when he's describing his games or discussing his process with a pinch of salt. I think, like, I think there is something a little bit theatrical to the way he describes his processes and and, and his work. Um, but you're right in that, like, he he talks about here restructuring the entire script, and there is something fascinating about the idea of like there being a set in place idea for a Death Stranding two that in the immediate aftermath of the first one that is then turned on its head um like will it be a, a direct sort of like betrayal or contradiction of some of the themes or the ideas or messages of the first game but also i think more interesting for in the more interestingly for me regardless of whether or not that is the case or what is the case is how is that communicated like are we playing as a porter again are we primarily experiencing that narrative or those themes and ideas through the means of delivering packages and reconnecting people to the chiral network or is this kojima now spreading his wings a little bit more and incorporating other gameplay elements other gameplay styles will traversing large patches like large you know areas of ground and large stretches of land still be an important game component it feels like it has to be like hey i guess what's interesting is that death stranding is so unique and so different 
the what feel like the core tenets, the core principles of Death Stranding's design philosophy feel like they can't go away because that's what made that game what it was. But at the same time, like maybe they can. Maybe 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 you don't need to put down ladders and ropes and go over mountains anymore. Maybe it's a more focused stealth action game. Like I, it just I'm, I'm I'm very curious to see what direction it goes in. No, me too. Um, <clears throat> not you know, I'm, I'm still going to have to uh, finish Death Stranding one before Death Stranding two comes out. Which up? Yeah, you can just do what Chris did and watch a Death Stranding the movie at two times speed on YouTube. I could do, but I I, I like the game. Like I want to play more of the game. It's just it's, it took me so long, and then other things came along. Um, but you know, it was my game of the year when it came out because it was that good. Um, one addition I am hoping they have for Chris's sake because I know he'd love it is. Um, if you can, uh, you know, instead of a walking simulator with feet, is that you can have hands for feet. I know he's hoping yes. that's a thing that you can do. Uh, yeah. So he yeah. wants the gr- the grippiest hands for feet possible. He would love hands for feet. Um, shout out to you, Chris. I know you love hands for feet as an idea. If you don't know what that is, yeah. ask Chris. <laughs> um, ask Charlize Theron. Ask Charlize Theron. Uh, one more story to cover. We are rattling through them this week. Look, because... Um, there's so much, so much big news stories this week, so we're really getting through it. Um, <laughs> this is probably my favorite story of the week, just because it seems I've worked in companies uh, like this, and I think I get how this maybe has gone down. Um, but this is the story that Hasbro um, have had to apologize to Activision um, for claiming that they lost their Transformer games. Um, so... In an interview uh, with Transformers World last week, uh, a member of the Hasbro team was talking about the old um, Transformer games and was saying that it would be really cool if Activision made them available to people to play on Game Pass. Um, If you haven't played those games, I would say you're not missing that much if you haven't played them. However, the sound effect and the ability to transform was epic. And I just did did that so many times in those games, just transform for no reason. Just like interesting. I, see, I'd have thought they'd have been right up your street. That series, I I played no. I think I played one of them, and I played a decent amount of it. It's like a bad, um, uh, Mech Warrior, but you know, and and kind of like jank and not great. And but you can transform, and it does the noise, and that's cool. So why would you? Why would you not? Um, but anyway, so back to the story. So the story is that, uh, yeah, during the interview they said. They've lost our games. Um, however, Activision, when they heard that, were none too impressed. Um, the Hasbro employee claimed that the reason they'd lost the games was that they were, they'd spoken to Activision and Activision had said that they had hard drives with the original games on and that they had misplaced them and that they were somewhere um, in a building because when you acquire, you know, one company, company acquires another company and things get moved around. Um, and so they had just been misplaced. Um, but they were in the building, I think was the idea, um, to which Activision um, were none too happy and obviously had a little chat with Hasbro behind the scenes, which prompted Hasbro to come out and say that the comments were made in error uh, and that they've actually apologised. They've said, we apologise to Activision and regret any confusion. They've been great partners and we look forward to future opportunities to work together. Um, so, Jamie, go on. Yeah. Who's the um, let's play who's the arsehole in this situation? Who was right? Who was wrong? Oh god. Um I don't know if there is necessarily an art. Well, I guess the reason it's hard to exactly say who's the arsehole is because I really want to know what the truth is about 
like where the games are. I, I don't know much about game development, but I think the idea that a game can be quote unquote on a hard drive that gets lost that seems like a little bit strange to me. Like that happens in our line of work because you know a, a project folder can be however many gigabytes, and one person one person presses delete and it's gone, and that happens. Uh, but in an entire video game, like maybe they do just end up on hard drives because yeah, how else are you gonna store them? I don't know. I just feel like there'd be a more sophisticated thing. Like you know, you get like, like those NAS drives that are all interconnected and like everything's really everything's encrypted and protected, and you can't just accidentally hit delete on something and. They, all these companies have archives and libraries. That's always the way you imagine it works. I know it probably never does. See, I'm imagining it is that, but it's like you don't know what drive it's on in a server room at the back of the server room somewhere. It's like the archive drive, as you're describing. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's and in the, there are loads of them, and they're like, well, which one is it on? I have to go through all the drives to try and find it. Yeah, and then the person who made the library left three years ago, and the person he taught the layout to... He's on paternity leave, and <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and also, you were talking about a game that was developed by a company fifteen years ago, when that company got acquired by a, by us ten years ago. And so, if the, it, I can see why the word "lost" in a colloquial sense comes up, um, and I think in that sense, like Hasbro were probably being honest, where we, where they were saying we don't really know they're probably somewhere in that building, and we don't really know what the deal is. That's just what happens. The fact that they said in their initial statement that they were frustrated suggests that they had been at least trying to get these things out of Activision to no avail. In which case, maybe a public statement with a little bit of like um like a little bit of a like a, a, a anger attached to it is is warranted. Like maybe that's the way they thought they could kick this thing into gear was being oh, like, oh, I like. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah just, totally. You don't, you, don't, you don't describe it as frustrating if you don't give a sh if you're not looking for something you've lost, then you don't care. You only it only comes frustrating when you want to find it. No, and you're absolutely right. You've you're absolutely right, Jamie. So, okay, Transformers Devastation, Transformers Full of Cybertron, Rise of the Dark Spark, and War for Cybertron, all were published by Activision, uh, and all are currently unavailable to purchase anywhere. So those are all games which could obviously go to Game Pass. I think you are right, my my good sir. I think what what's happened is Hasbro have been pushing to have these games made up. They're like, the fans want them. The fans want them. And Activision are saying like, shut up, man. The, the fans don't care. Uh, stick them on Game... Speak to Xbox. Stick them on Game Pass. Stick them on Game Pass. And someone has tried to like placate them. And, and do like, so they've got, what am I going to tell Bob? Uh, tell, tell him we don't know where they are. And he's like, without a look, Bob, there are other hard drives somewhere. We can't find them. And I think you're absolutely right. They have thought we're being put off. They're trying to, uh, you know... Tell us what we don't. Tell us something that because they can't be asked or whatever. Let's put it in the media, and then it puts the pressure on them to say, "No, we've got these games. They're right here." And then the next call they have, they're like, "You said that you know exactly where the games are." Yeah, especially because like you can imagine whoever it was from Hasbro who was doing that interview is probably kind of like quite proud of the fact that. Some of those games were really popular, were surprisingly well received, and had a really cult following. I remember, especially the two um, Cybertron games. A lot of people really liked those games. It was like they used the Transformers IP to make a really, like, surprisingly proficient third-person shooter, and that was cool. Um, considering a lot of the ones that were like tie-ins to movies and stuff like that. Like, I remember playing. I remember playing on the PS2, playing one of the ones that was a movie tie, and just being like, "This is not it." 
Um, I think it was probably the second movie. Um, and and so, the, yeah, they probably do want them out there. And what better way as well to get a bit of publicity for your games than having a statement out there in the press and inevitably headlines in the press of like, oh, Hasbro really want to release these fan-favorite Transformers games, but Activision have lost them. Because that just makes another public are involved, right? Now the public are going, oh yeah, fuck you, Activision. You know, get a better file storage system, motherfuckers, or whatever it is they're saying. And and uh, but yeah, no, I think you're I think you're absolutely right. And and the little bit of heat that they're going to get having to do an apology that they didn't care about making an apology and saying, no, Activision are lovely partners. The whole reason was they wanted to get those games found so they could put them on Game Pass. Oh, so they're coming to thought, Game Pass. This is it. it I just, yeah, now I just thought I, I just I just thought of another fascinating wrinkle to the story. <laughs> Yeah. What if the Hasbro team member, who um who said this uh, said the all this shit in an interview last week was actually an inside man from Microsoft, and this is all a ploy to make Activision look stinky, and then when the act- acquisition is one hundred percent complete, the games will end up on Game Pass, and Microsoft gets to do a lap of honor saying we saved these Transformers. And don't get me wrong, there would be it would make no sense because. By that point, Activision would be an asset that Microsoft owns, so making them look bad would make making themselves look right. bad. But then they could say it was the old management. The old manager. <laughs> Basically, Bobby Kotick lost these hard drives personally, and Phil Spencer found them personally. Yes. Bobby had had uh, recorded over uh, some of the Transformer game code with uh, yeah. uh, weird <laughs> we- 70s porn. No, so we found the hard drive that actually had was meant to have War for Cybertron on it. it. Had a piece of tape on it said for War for Cybertron, but the only file on there was a um, a pirated copy of Moneyball with ju- just with Bobby Kotick scenes in in it. Just a compilation, just a comp- <laughs> yeah, just a four oh, like a four K compilation of Bobby Kotick's acting reel stri- solely from Moneyball. I love it, yeah, and then that's all it was, and then that's why that's why he couldn't he couldn't show them the tape. He couldn't show him the hard drive even because uh, it, was, it was the only thing on there. It was the old oh. scene in the film where they where they got the tape and it's got the uh, the name of the film when you put it and it's something else and they're like, no. It's like, yeah, that's the modern day version of the kid accidentally taping over the wedding video. Is Bobby Kotick replacing the Transformers games with a compilation of his scenes from Moneyball? That's what he, any, any hot young intern that started working um, for them, that's what he used to do. He used to put his scenes from Moneyball. So you know who I am? Yeah. I'm, I'm like, a, like it's like when David Brent used to accidentally leave a a copy of the magazine that he was on the front page of on his desk and go, oh, what's that? Oh, what's that doing there? Oh, that's not supposed. How'd that get there? That's what Bobby Kotick used to do with a laptop that was just playing Moneyball on loop. So a, you you caught me, Moneyball. <laughs> Recognize anyone it, in this scene? Oh, the Brad bit. It always <laughs> speaks to um. The the story that's sort of been bubbling away the last few weeks as well about the idea that I, th- I keep forgetting the actual figure, but it's eighty like percent of games that have been made are at risk of in danger of being endangered or something like that. Um, yeah, because they've they're not available digitally. They aren't you know there's there's no copy of them uh, sort of jumping around. And the idea that you could have worked on these games, and especially if you were at Hasbro and you're really proud of like you know oh we made a whole bunch of Transformers games surprisingly well. And you, to you, it doesn't seem that long ago because you're probably in your 50s, you know, and you want to yeah. go, oh, yeah, no, it wasn't that long ago and they've now just been lost. Um, yeah, it's, it's it must be a bit of a annoying thing for you, like you said, frustrating. It must be annoying for the uh, the companies that try and sort of keep a record of things that have been produced and that aren't make yeah. games aren't available anymore. And 
yeah, Activision need a little kick up the arse to find um, find their copies of Transformers. Like we, like I said, like I said, we imagine it's not the case because video games are big and complicated. They're worked on by a lot of people for a very long period of time. They cost a lot of money, um, and so you just kind of like with an animated movie or any movie for that matter. You imagine that the media involved is looked after and there's a specific way of dealing with it and that some of the things that you or I might have dealt with working for small independent production companies or even large independent production companies and working with much smaller format digital media for uh, smaller products as as being in our capacity as you know we've been producers we've been editors whatever the case may be for us like we absolutely know what it's like when someone comes to you and is like Oh, do you have that project that you edited three years ago? You just kind of go like, probably not. And like, even if I did, I, I, I could open it, but all oh, the media would be offline, and I wouldn't really recognize anything. And I wouldn't be. Do I really? I, like, just don't ask me about this. Just go away. Like, the projects leave your head the second yeah. that you feel like your um, responsibilities with it are done. And like I said, we imagine it's different, and that the kind of the the care taken with product scales up as the project scales up. Maybe that's not the case. Like, I think it's exactly the same. Yeah. Especially and, in the era before DLC and live services mm. and online multiplayer and stuff like that. When you finished a game, it was probably just like, you fucking, you, you know, you, you you turn off your PC, you go on holiday for a week, and you never think about it again. Yeah. And then someone says, oh, do you have that file? Do you have that texture you used in that game uh, seven years ago? Well, that te- oh, I'll have a look, but I don't, I don't know. And then even then even after that era of people asking about it, there'll then be a period of time where you don't get asked about it at all. And so it just gets, you know, just you probably delete it. And then someone goes, Yeah. Oh, uh, we were looking the other I had this recently from a client. It said, Oh, you know that thing we worked on a couple of years ago? Have you, uh, you got a copy of that knocking around? And I was like, Well, I made it for you, so you've probably got a copy. He was like, Yeah, I I think I erased the hard drive that it was on. I'm like, oh, I don't have a copy. Mm. It was three years ago. I deleted it. I don't have a copy of it. And they're like, Are you could you maybe just check on why you're hard you like, oh, yeah. I had I had the only living copy of that video and now it's gone. I reckon it's exactly the same with video games. Yeah. Someone's like, oh shit, I've deleted that Some, game. Someone sit someone sits there and says, Why is my computer running so slowly? They open <laughs> yeah. up Explorer, they go to the PC tab, they see three hundred megabytes remaining on their two terabyte SSD. They go Far luck. Like I've got to delete something before my PC crashes, basically, or like the render I'm doing crashes. Um, and so they go through all their documents and they're like, ah, f- uh, 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 Rise of the Dark Spark. Do I, 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 no one's going to need that in the future. I'll just fucking delete it. Yes. And you go, oh, no, that. I just, I just saved myself, th- you know, six hundred gigabytes. Thank Christ. Yep. No, I, I think you. I think exactly right. I think that's exactly what happens. And then suddenly. Activision is telling people that it's on hard drives that are lost in the business somewhere, and event and then there probably is, like you said, eventually they'll find the, the archive drive that has stuff backed onto. But with all the all the acquisitions and that, I can't imagine that during an acquisition, the games like, oh, uh, we've moved over a load of the data. Where are the Transformers games? <laughs> like anyone's yeah, gonna yeah. go? Oh yeah, yeah. Let me let me hop when we grab those for you. They probably just get lost. Absolutely, yeah, exactly. Lost. I bet I tell you something. It's been lost to the ether. I have no idea where our um, uh, this is a Transformers connection. Or what's her name? Oh, Megan, uh, Cameron Me- Diaz. No, Me- Me- Megan. The Stallion. Is it not? Is it not Megan? What's the what's the um, uh, <laughs> Machine Gun Kelly's other half called? Megan Fox. 
Megan Fox. She was in Transformers. We worked yeah. with Megan Fox many years ago. We had a, did a video with Megan Fox that you've forgotten about. Um, we had well, yeah, until, until now, yeah, that was had Teenage to, Mutant Ninja Turtles tie-in. It was. She did a little shout out for one of our channels, and we got it. We had it, and she she did it as a little read after an interview. And she said, "Make sure to check out whatever channel it was." I can't remember. Um, yeah, and yeah, that has been deleted. I think I I saved a copy of that at the time. Because it was quite cool. It was like, oh, look, Megan Fox did a shout out for us. Because I think Warwick Davis did one as well. And so did Neil deGrasse Tyson and Simon Pegg and Neil. What's his mate called? Nick. We did. But Nick there was, Frost. It was Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. But there was a problem with that one, wasn't there? Where like, that was the one that didn't actually get publicly released because there was some, oh, there was some kind of issue. Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson was the one where instead of filming him on a green screen, they filmed him on a black screen. So we yes. had to turn him into a hologram. Yes, they filmed a black guy with black hair in a black t-shirt on a black background. And I was oh. like, what the hell? I was so excited about that. Like I'm a big Neil deGrasse Tyson fan. Like you know, all of his uh, cosmos physics stuff. And I was just like, how have you done this? Just use a goddamn green screen. You ruined this for me. And we turned him into a Star Wars style hologram. It's a good round. Good. Yeah. A pretty quick thing here as 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 things go yeah but um yeah that must have been a we've all been there as an editor that day you kind of like you're excited to get started on something you're waiting for some footage you download a transfer or a dropbox or you get a hard drive couriered over to you whatever it is you plug it in you watch that first clip and like you know camera camera like a camera like roll roll real one or whatever it is, that, that very first piece and you go oh boy and you know that this is going to be a long day or a long week or a long month or whatever it is you're working in. Yeah. So Rodrigo in the chat said, back when you guys had connections, and immediately my mind went to when we went to that, um, I think it was a COD uh, release event, and we saw Jared Leto, and we went and we got in the queue to go in, and then she oh, was like, you're not on the list. Oh, yeah. I remember that. That was Des that was a Destiny 2 launch event. Destiny, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, because we, we went to one for Destiny, we went to one for Destiny Two. Destiny Two was the one that we didn't get into, but we saw, as you said, people like Jared Leto. Um, not because Jared Leto is a big Destiny fan, but because like the Men's GQ Awards or something like that were like same, the same night, and it was they they had all the celebrities had been put up in the same hotel as this Destiny Two party. The Destiny One thing was the one where we went along, and it was all. British UK rap or I guess grime artists, low like B tier footballers and J from the Inbetweeners, <laughs> um, and we felt like I think we were the only ones there in the entire room who actually wanted to play the game while we were there. Yes, that's always the funny thing about like video game launch parties is they have like uh, what must feel like an obligation to put at least like five consoles out there so that you can actually play play the game while getting completely plastered. And the amount of times you'll go to them and be the only one who wants to play the game. Like, I'm the, oh, I'm the only one playing Hitman 2, right? <laughs> Everyone else is just drinking, you know, margaritas and taking pictures with the Pink Flamingo. That's cool. Yeah, well, we we, we did do that, but we also wanted to play Hitman 2. Yeah. And it's the best of both. Well, there were enough of us, especially, like, even if just you, me, and Chris went along, there were enough of us where one person networks, one person drinks, one person games. and um, cover all the bases. It's all good. Yeah, exactly. Um. Oh, how did I miss this? I have to give a shout out to Pastors Guild. Um, who said, sorry I was late and dropped us a $2 super chat. Uh, hey. Thank you very much. 
Uh, you're not late. You're right on time. You can uh, you can watch back anything you missed. Don't worry about it. Um, it's, it's been a pretty dry week, actually. So we are probably coming to the end of the show, which is one of the shortest ones we've done for a long time, given that we're only at uh, Man. 25. Um, we tried as well. I, I recapped the entire story of the new Modern Warfare trilogy. All did. for nothing. And we even covered a fourth story, which we don't normally do. We normally do three and move on. But... Um, not much meat on the bone this week, uh, but thank you so much, everybody, um, for joining us. Thank you to the people who are joining us live in chat. Uh, thank you to the people who are watching this after, who are catching up, and you can maybe leave a comment down below on YouTube for the algo if you felt so inclined, or who are listening to this indeed on podcasting platforms um, or over at paisleyradio.com. Uh, and a massive thank you, of course, to my co-host, Jamie, um, the absolute legend. Um, oh, a sterling job as always. Thank you, Mr. Jones. And uh, guiding us through this week in gaming. Not at all. Um, we will be back next week with more gaming news. Hopefully, there's a little bit more that's gone on. Uh, well, we, I wouldn't, you know what, mid, mid August, Jonesy, I'm not counting on it. No, but then I suddenly thought we wouldn't even be able to talk about how the actual release of Red Dead yet because it won't be coming out for another few days. Yeah. Um, that'll be the week after next for Red Dead Hot Takes. Red Dead Hot Takes, yeah. That'll, that'll at least give us some meat on the bone to talk about yeah. how people, the response, to the fury yeah. that people are Plus, like, had. games are slowly but surely going to start coming out again. I mean, I mean, fucking Starfield is a September release, right? So, and then there's yep. Gamescom at the end of the month, so bear with us. We might have a few more dry weeks, but yeah, we're going to get through it if we do it together. Yeah, Starfield, and then of course uh, Spider Man Two comes out, and there's a whole load of other stuff. So then it should be really good. Yes, um, but can't wait. Without further ado, um, thank you, everyone. Uh, we will see you again next week. Bye. Bye.